0: This is Raina Campbell, your chief dream driver, and welcome to the No Parking Podcast, where through conversations and discussions with creators like yourself, we'll find interesting approaches to help you take your dreams out of park, put them in drive, and ride towards success. Hey Dream Drivers, welcome to episode 26 of the Dreams and Drive No Parking Podcast. And today our guest is Bridget Ortiz, who is a fashion designer and founder of Born Again Vintage, which is a collection of fashion-forward recycled garments. One of the things that I love about Bridget's story and I think that you guys will get out of it too is how she was able to turn her hobby for vintage into a business. We talk about the steps that she took to take this idea into a viable um into a viable revenue generating um uh brand for her. Uh we also talk about just what really goes into hustling for for your dreams. What are some of the things that you can do to get the confidence to really believe in yourself and your ideas? We talk about what what you can use to uh, inspire you, how to know when to jump, and why doing what you love is important. If anything, I hope that you guys really understand what you can do in your own life to feel that you are born again. A lot of people listening in may have this idea, may have something that you love so much, but you're not really sure about how to take it to the next step. I think listening to Bridget's story, will be inspiration for you so please listen in remember you can go to dreamsanddrive.com and click on episode 26 for our show notes and if you're listening in on soundcloud or itunes please subscribe rate leave a review or share this episode with someone else we hope that you enjoy and we're going to start the interview right now So one of the first questions I love to ask um, our our dream drivers is what inspired you as a child? I think it's always so interesting when we're talking about, you know, being a creative entrepreneur, being a lifestyle entrepreneur. Like, what were those things that little Bridget was doing growing up?
1: Well, you know, it's really funny because I think there's a um, saying in regards to what you were doing at the age of nine or by nine is usually what you end up doing as an adult. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: And that's so weird because by nine, I I love to gather people. I was the gatherer. I was the friend that brought all the other friends together from different towns and put on little um, talent shows in my basement. Or I just like to bring people together. So that was one thing I did a lot as as a kid. And I was also addicted to Barbie dolls. So, I, I had 23 Barbie dolls, and that was like my special number. And I love paper dolls. So, anything with dolls and changing their clothes, and you know, um, I even made clothes for them, which were hideous. But you know, <laughs> I was just really into the dolls.
0: You know what's funny? As a kid, um, I still have like old sketchbooks. I thought when I was younger that I wanted to be a fashion designer, so I had like all these little outfits that I would sketch and I would give them names. And I even had a phase where my dad. Um, it's funny. He's the sewer in my family. Um, um he he's he's Caribbean. He's Jamaican. So he said his like his mom taught him how to make his own clothes because you know. Right, right. <laughs> so uh, he taught us how to sew. So I had this obsession with making stuffed pillows. So I would basically make pillows and put tissue in them and then wow. I would um I had an another phase where I would cut up it's funny I would cut up old clothes and try to make new things out of them so I had this like jean skirt that I would, I would try to make out of old jeans so it's
1: well it's, it sounds <laughs> like you were supposed to be the reconstructor <laughs> yeah uh,
0: but you know what then I got into girl band management I had a little girl a girl group uh, in fourth grade called KRS I was the manager we had little backyard concerts and then I just kind of evolved from there but the fashion I think I still do fashion as in I like style now so I like to say I'm fair stylish but yeah i i don't think the actual design was was for me <laughs>
1: and that's weird because i did all of that with dolls and like dressing them but that wasn't that was like the furthest thing from my mind once i started to pursue a career a career once i got out of school i wasn't thinking about designing so it's, it's kind of weird saying that now mm. because it was clear a clear indication that i was very interested at an early age and in, in fashion
0: So what did you study in school then?
1: I studied buying and merchandising um, at FIT and accounting, oddly enough, at uh, University of Maryland.
0: So when did that shift happen? Like, did you graduate and realize that you didn't really want to pursue that career and liked design more?
1: Well, I once I left University of Maryland because I definitely didn't fit into that um, type of atmosphere or that size university. And so when I went to FIT, I immediately fit in. But once again, my goal was buying and I really enjoyed it. You know, I thought I would just climb the buying ladder. Um, that was my intention. And I really enjoyed that job. So the design really came from me actually being an at-home mom and having time on my hands and, you know, wanting to give back and wanting to do something and creating the talent show, incorporating a fashion show in the talent show. And just chopping up clothes so the kids have something to, to, you know, walk down the runway with. With no desire or intention to to sell the clothes or any interest in the clothes. It was for the kids to just fill up some time in a talent show.
0: So then that's so interesting. So it kind of started as just a hobby that you were doing because it came about. But when did it, when did it, um... When did the whole Born Again Vintage brand come alive or when when was that brand born? born?
1: Well, initially it was BRT's Originals. That was uh, the name of the uh, brand and Born Again Vintage was a tagline. And I did t-shirts first. I didn't even do women's clothes. I did t-shirts that were Sayings cut up from vintage shirts. So I would buy the blanks, cut up the vintage shirts, and create all these crazy sayings. But, you know, and I enjoy doing it. But once you start going into three, four word phrases and you're cutting these up individually and sewing them individually, (laughs) you know, it was, you know, an awesome idea, but it was just a lot of labor and a lot of work. And it just, you know, it just didn't pan out as far as being effective. So that's when I started to branch out into the clothes. And, um, I was selling at the young designers market on Bleecker, And then they opened the collective, um, around the corner on Lafayette. And once I went to the collective, I mean, literally I was selling, you know, daily. And I just, you know, I was kind of dumbfounded as much as I love doing it. It was still very much a hobby to me. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until random house stumbled across my booth in this collective and loved the tagline born again, vintage left a card. I wasn't there. We played fold tags forever, and then finally we went to lunch. And you know, she's like, "Yeah, I would love for you to write this book." And you know, and I'm eating my lunch, and I'm trying not to, you know, look like what <laughs> me? <laughs> like, right? What are you talking? <laughs> <about>? <laughs> and so, you know, we finished the lunch. I went back home, and I was just literally dazed because I just I didn't understand why me. You know, I really wasn't taking it that serious. So to have that type of um, proposal, you know pitch to you you're like uh but this is just a hobby and I do this on the side <laughs> um so it was probably that moment when I knew that it was more than what I was at I even knew what it was and I started to take it a lot more seriously and that's when it went from BRT's Originals to Born and Vintage
0: and the book came out was it 2000 2008 that it came out or 2000 2008 and what was that whole process of like you know putting together this was your first book right What was that process like?
1: Well, it was really interesting because, you know, you look at the book and it just looks like we were all together because, you know, as I tell everybody, if you don't read one word, it is probably the prettiest book you'll ever look at. (laughs) I mean, the styling is just amazing. So, you know, basically, I told them the different projects that I was going to present for each season and they would nix yay or nay, whatever. And then once we were solid on those 25 projects. You know, I they took all the pieces they took um, and I wasn't around. They took the pictures of the befores, gave them back to me. I made all the pieces. I gave it back to them. They took all the afters. I wasn't there for any of it. So literally, I just made the clothes and gave it to them. And so when I got the first copy of the book, I mean, I was blown away. I was literally blown away. And that was probably another pivotal moment for me, because looking at the my pieces in that book, it was, you know, I was just, I was blown away.
0: <laughs> so can you kind of describe to our listeners, and I, I feel like I, I should have probably asked you this earlier, but what exactly is it that you do with your clothes? So you kind of, you, you use vintage or thrifted clothes, right? And you deconstruct them and um, recreate new styles. But can you kind of just walk us through that whole process, that design process?
1: Sure, Um I usually go thrifting for my pieces. Some pieces are donated. Some pieces are um, left over from you know swaps or different events that I have. So you know, I have access to a lot of different pieces, but I usually get inspired from the thrifting part of it um, and going to select those prints and those colors and those textures that you know I can incorporate with whatever I have already. So after I do that, and a piece inspires me, so much, I'll immediately start working at it. So I could see something in the store, let's say, and I, if I love it that much, I could probably know, tell you what I'm going to do with it, you know, within 10 minutes. And when it inspires me that much, I immediately want to go home and I immediately want to make it. Mm -hmm. And so, and usually that's what I'll do. So I'll tear it completely apart. So we could have a whole dress, you know, and I'll cut the dress and I'll use the dress just for fabric. So that dress could be a jacket, that dress could be a pair of shorts, That dress could be a vest. I mean, the dress could be anything, whatever it is that I turn it into. Um, And so I usually incorporate it with other pieces. Normally, it's rarely I'll use one piece for a whole garment. So usually it's about two or three different pieces, um, all chopped up and put back together to make a completely different look and a completely different outfit.
0: And I know one of the things that I think your tagline now uh, is bringing sustainability to the forefront of fashion so I, you really are an advocate for sustainable fashion. why do you think it's so important that um, I think I was reading a previous one of your ebony interviews where you were talking with uh, Melanie Vett about just the importance of like why what this means to you can you kind of tell our readers like or our listeners I should say like why is? sustainability something that is a passion and an interest of yours and why is it important for us all to consider that as we buy clothes?
1: Well initially I was extremely passionate and I had this affinity towards vintage that was my whole pull in this and then once I did this and realized you know so that wasn't even my idea going into this that it was sustainable or eco-friendly or anything like that it was really a passion about the vintage But once I realized it was um, sustainable and not only that, I would probably say that reconstruction is probably the most sustainable um, thing you can do with fashion or old clothes or um, any textiles. So, you know, once you learn that and then, of course, I have to do the research because now I'm in this, you know, this market. And once you do the research, it's really, really hard to go back or it's really hard not to have you know change your mindset when you find out how much clothes actually end up in the landfill mm-hmm. and then and then you find out that clothing is the smallest percentage that gets recycled out of all the waste and really? to me that's the smallest percentage <laughs> and i think that's insane so you know once you have all these facts and then you know the cl- now and and mind you because i do what i do i'm around a lot of people's houses with a lot of clothes. And so I get to see the masses of clothes that are just being thrown out. And then people have to figure out what to do with these clothes. And we're talking about thousands and thousands of pounds of clothes that, you know, literally just get tossed out because they've been left left behind or a house is empty or, you know, for whatever reason. So, I mean, once you get all the facts and you know, what's going on. It's really hard to kind of support fast fashion. Mm -hmm. I mean, because it's just doing so much damage. And I know everybody wants to look cute and trendy. And I get it because I was one of those two, you know, once upon a time. But, you know, I just don't think that we're aware of all the different options we have. I think that, you know, because it's not mainstream and because it's not really out there, out there, you know, people just equate it to a type of um, texture or clothes, you know, like hemp. or the way the cotton is made. You know, there's so many different aspects of sustainability now in clothing. It's, you know, it's, you know, so many different choices you could choose to make a smarter decision and still be high fashion and still be trendy and still look cute. I just don't think people know it. I just think the awareness. So that's why my whole thing is like, you know, making things so funky and out there that it gets that attention and people can realize that, yeah, this is you know, this was made from a 1940s dress and a, and a 1970s T-shirt and an H&M blouse, you know, <laughs> you know, because there's a lot of H&M and a lot of Forever 21 in the thrift shop. They're flooded with it. So, you know. I'm sorry. No, no, no,
0: no. I'm sorry. I was I was gonna say something, but then I caught myself because I was gonna say yes. Because like when I go, I I love thrifting myself. I love going to the uh to like Goodwill and there's like a local thrift store by me. I live in um I live in Orange, New Jersey. Okay. Um, so um there's this place that's called a uh, second hand, oh, second round, second round thrift, and um I just like going through there because you realize like people. Throw out or give away things that are really—you like, know how they say one man's trash is another one another man's treasure—and I, and I feel like a lot of times with this whole with the whole idea of thrifting, it's really a mindset that people think, oh, I don't want to wear someone else's uh, oh, yeah, shirt. I don't want to wear. I'm like, really? You don't know when you buy something at the store if the, if two people bought and returned that same outfit and they didn't even wash it. So it's it's just. It's so interesting how it's all a mindset when we think about fashion and what is in trend and what right. is good.
1: It's, it's And the thing cultural. is, the trends are like, you know, in such a quick cycle, or a quick turnaround that, you know, by the time you really get a u- get use of a particular shirt or, or blaze or whatever, it's already out. And then you don't feel like you can wear it because it's dated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, you I mean, clothes have such a short life cycle now that it's just things get tossed a lot quicker than they ever did because things are just moving so quickly.
0: You know what that made me think about is the whole idea that we're allowing these stores to dictate what our style should be. Do you think that it's important and, you know, our dream drivers are all like creatives they're fellow creatives, fellow lifestyle entrepreneurs. Do you think it's important that Or I should ask, how important do you think is developing your own personal style so that you don't necessarily need to have it dictated by one of those big brands that are telling you what what you should be wearing?
1: Well, I mean, I think my whole brand is about that, Mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, they're one of a kind. So, one, no one else is ever going to have that. And I realize that my customer, you know, is confident. You know, she wants to look different from everyone else. She doesn't want to look cookie cutter. She doesn't want to look like the the trend that everyone, you know, I've always had a problem with that. Even, you know, even in high school, I, I would always go against, you know, the grain. I hate conforming, you know, it was just like, why am I going to look like every, I mean, I just thought it was bizarre in my head, even that, you know, as a teenager, like, why would I want to look like somebody else? But in, even as a buyer, I would always be the one, you know, causing issues because <laughs> I would always want to be the one that's buying, you know, the different pieces or, you know, so that was always an issue for me. You know, I just didn't understand why everyone wanted to have the same thing. Like there's options. Why wouldn't you want to, you know, and there's something that I always say to my students at FIT is that, you know, your eye is your eye. You know, nobody has your eye. I mean, literally there's not one person that has your eye. So you have to be confident in that eye and, you know, What you, you know, gravitate to and what you're drawn to is what, you know, what you wear and that's your style. And, you know, nobody can there's no opinion about that because it's your style and your eye.
0: So how how did you develop your own personal confidence when it came to your personal style and just the way, you know, who Bridget Bridget is? I think that's something that a lot of us a lot of us struggle with is really developing that confidence. You can get to the point where. You really um, you really don't care if other people think you what you're wearing is cool or good or right. whatever.
1: I mean, I definitely think it's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that society and just the way we're brought up, I mean, it, we're going against the grain. So it's not natural for us, you know, to want to um, be different or think outside the box. It's a rarity. That's where, you know, us creatives come from you know, it's not a whole bunch of us. I mean, it might seem like that, but we are not, we're the minority for sure. Um, But I, it's definitely something that developed in me. The more I became confident in my brand, um, the more I became confident in, you know, what I meant to the brand and what I brought to the brand. So, you know, you know, Born Again Vintage to me is very much, you know, just, a um, you know, a branch of who I am, basically, you know, just that person that, you know, wants people to feel special and feel unique and and feel original without, you know, having to um, conform, basically, you know, just really being confident with who you are. I think that's just such a big thing in life, because once you accomplish that, to me, a lot of things kind of come to you naturally.
0: I definitely agree with that. And um, I took a note, I think I was reading something and, and doing research for the podcast and some, one, something I read on your site or it might have been another, another interview you've done. You talked about how you have this philosophy of second chances when it comes to your clothing. Um, do you have that same mindset in your own life or do you think that mindset of, you know, believing in the second second chances and believing in, um, you know, you can always give life again to something old it has, uh, has kind of been demonstrated in your own life?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, Born Again Vintage was basically born out of um, my second chance, and that was in regards to losing, you know, um, my third child and, and really having that, that choice in front of me on whether to go down the path of, you know, you know, getting sad and, and grieving and depressed about it or, you know, taking that energy and putting it into something positive. So, I mean, that was a huge turning point for me because I really had that choice to make, you know, Uh, I literally made the choice. (laughs) So, you know, putting that energy into, you know, buying a sewing machine and getting a mannequin and just trying to stay busy, you know, that's where Born Again Vintage came from. So absolutely, I believe in that and I encourage it. And, you know, and I probably promote it, you know, um, any chance I get, because I just think that you know, if it's color, if it's gender, if it's age, you know, there's always something that people feel that's holding them back. And I just feel like there's no exploration on, you know, your dream. If, if it's in you and you have the passion and you have the confidence, you know, you can really do whatever it is that you want to do. And you shouldn't feel, you know, have that fear or doubt, you know, kind of keeping you from doing it.
0: So in your early days, you know, when you first had the idea and you were really developing the brand into like a business, what were some of your biggest challenges in those early days? Or maybe what are some of the challenges you even face now?
1: Well, I mean, I would think probably I have this not. Yeah, I would have have the same challenge or one challenge that's remained consistent for me is because I have such a niche market Mm -hmm. is really narrowing it down and finding that market, you know, and I know who she is. And, you know, the longer I'm in this, I'm able to narrow it down more and more. So I'm, I'm getting an idea of the age range and the demographics, but that's probably been one of the hardest things for me is finding that customer um, that is, um, you know, open, because it's a sustainable aspect. And is the vintage aspect. I assumed my customer would be vintage, um, enthusiast or vintage, and that's not necessarily the case. So I was kind of baffled when I found that out because that's who I thought my customer would be. And that's not so much the case. So one of my challenges, um, and like I said, consistent, is really narrowing it down on who she is, you know, and where she is. You know, Um, that was one. And probably early on, I would say the confidence, you know, because I started it out as a hobby, I didn't really have the confidence that this was a quote unquote business. You know, I just had fun doing it. So when people bought it, you know, I would always be like nervous, like, oh my God, will they fit it? (laughs) Uh, You know, but, you know, so that I had to really work on. um, And the more achievements you get and the more more, uh, um, acknowledgements you get, you know, the more your confidence you know, goes up and you start to believe in it. So that was definitely a struggle early on for me.
0: I want to go back to the whole idea of you saying that, you know, because you had a niche market, you really, you really had to figure out who is your woman? What were some of the things that you did? Or not even women, who's your, who's your customer, but what were some of the things that you, you did to really narrow down? Or did you know, starting out, like, did, Was there some kind of step that you had to follow or some kind of system you followed to really help you figure out who your target demographic was?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I think the challenge for me was that I was reconstructing. So in all the markets that I went to and we're talking, you know, from state to state throughout the U.S., I was always the only reconstruction reconstruction person there. So, you know, I didn't have any go to. So literally I had to really figure it out state by state, market by market, event by event, just based on who bought stuff, because it was such a new um, category. And, you know, it was wasn't really anything out there for me to draw any type of information from. Mm. And
0: was there anything that you learned that you think an aspiring, you know, designer or aspiring, maybe there's an a, a inspiring reconstructionist. <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah, the right okay. term. An, an inspiring person out there who, is there any tip that you would definitely give someone? Like if you if you wish you known this when you started, what would that be?
1: Ooh, uh, that's a good one. Um, I would say to have the business plan first. You know, I did the business plan midway and some people, some people don't need it. So I don't want to say that that's a straight across the board type of thing, but to have everything mapped out because it wasn't until I I actually wrote my business plan, which is 49 pages that I actually saw like, this is a viable business. Mm -hmm. You know, once you do the, the competition and you do the statistics and you do the, you know, the financials. I mean, it really maps everything out for you to see on paper that this is a viable business. You know, and I think that until I got that, I was maybe unsure of questioning that the entire time. So I think if you do that and you put the work and the research into doing that, I mean, probably even by the end of it, you might not even want to do it. But it'll <laughs> definitely no, seriously. And you know, so you'll have that option at the end. Like it could be a crossroads moment. But um yeah, I think it's definitely a, a good plus to start that way.
0: And how long did I how long did it take you to complete it? Like did you um like was it over of course, a course of few a few weeks, a few well, months? I had
1: I had help and um, with that help it was me and that person probably for a week straight and to sort of like the wee hours of the morning. Okay. So like you know, working hard and just nonstop for seven days.
0: So when you think about the born again vintage brand as it is right now, would you say you're completely happy with where you are or like where would you love to see the brand grow to?
1: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm so proud of born again vintage, you know, mm-hmm. because literally, like I said, it was just a little table, a card table set up at a market, you know, nine years, eight years ago. So, you know, where it is now, absolutely, I love where it's at. Mm-hmm. I would love for, you know, once again, for it to be that brand responsible for bringing, you know, sustainability to the forefront of fashion. I really want her to be that. <laughs> I do.
0: Um, and one of the things that I, I thought um, I was reading up, and I know that you said this niche is very, very small. So I'm guessing even as a woman of color, being a black woman, it's probably even smaller,
1: right? Right. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I found like during the first four or five years, you know, that, um, well, we didn't even, vintage wasn't something on our radar, nor it was sustainability. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was, you know, we are, you know, Black women weren't my market at all for, I would say, the first half of my business. And then, you know, it started to get trendy people started to catch on to it. And then now I would say, you know, I would say it's probably about half of my business now. You know, so definitely I love to see that one, the sustainability um, is definitely spreading and it's becoming more diverse and not just in one particular area. So that's awesome.
0: And I also think something that's interesting, I think just within like Culture, too. I think people are now becoming more aware of, or some people, I should say, are becoming more aware of what we're doing to the environment. Or I should say, in this subset, in this area. I don't know how it is out there in Texas and other parts of the country. But I definitely think it's like New York City metro area. We're definitely realizing that. Well, there's a lot of we're trying to save resources, especially because it's so expensive. The cost of living here is is so uh-huh. high too. So I think that's something that's on people's mind. And I also think you know every nowadays, um, if you if you're not thrifting, you can't even get into Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: a good one. <laughs>
0: right? Like I feel like it's just so funny how culture can shift shift. um. Exactly. Buying and shift our how we spend our dollars.
1: Well, I'm excited. You know Mm -hmm. that that makes me very excited that a lot of people are on the thrifting bandwagon now. You know, I'm hoping it's not a you know fad that'll die out. You know, but vintage is definitely well. Vintage has always been in, and it will always be in. Mm -hmm. Thrifting is definitely getting a resurgence now, and I'm hoping it it stays just as relevant as vintage.
0: I, I one of the things I love and I I respect about your brand is I like that you know if you go to your site you have different different things that you are associated with you're a designer a stylist an author an event organizer a teacher a vintage expert and mom like you're a true hustler you're not just putting your eggs all in one basket how important mm-hmm. has that been to your to your brand and also just to the practical side of you know staying afloat being able to be making this something that you can make a living from pursuing your passions I should say
1: well I can tell you that I'm not I don't do one thing that I don't love mm-hmm. you know um everything that you name I love every you know every one of those and so I think that I've been lucky enough to have born again vintage open doors that you know allow me to lead to um organizing events and having the book and teaching a class so again Vintage is the the center of all of it, you know, so I would always say that that is, you know, designing would be my first and foremost, you know, um, out of all of those. But I love all of them equally. They all inspire me. And like I said, I just like really bringing people together. And my workshops probably have the most diverse group of women you'll Mm -hmm. ever meet in life. You know, my class on Tuesday, probably the oldest woman in there, I would say she was Maybe in her seventies, you know, and then I have, you know, a nineteen year old, I have someone from Brazil. You know, it's just the most diverse group, you know, all together to sit. I mean, it's it's just a fun class. I mean, I've never had such a experience where, you know, I actually feel like a student with them. I never feel like I'm the teacher, it's just like we're all together, you know, like this the old school sewing club almost that like have (laughs) look for the side of Hoarders Anonymous, you know.
0: What's the name <laughs> of the class that you uh, teach at FIT?
1: It's clothing reconstruction. I do a clothing reconstruction class there, and I do how to build a vintage business there.
0: Is that something that you, is it like, do you have to be a member or not a member? Do you have to be a student or is it like a continuing education class? Continuing at ed-
1: class, yeah.
0: Okay. So if anyone listening in can sign up for that if they, if they want so, to. If
1: the next one's, will be September. Uh, September, yeah.
0: Bridget, one of the things that I think is really important, like one of the things that a lot of our dream drivers often struggle with is knowing when to jump, right? Knowing when that, knowing when to pursue this passion of theirs. Do you have any advice for someone, you know, on the cuffs and not really knowing, like, should I do it? Should I not do it? Like, is it for me? What would you say to that person on the edge?
1: Wow. Oh, God, that's a tough one. Because, you know, I, I, to me, if there's any doubt, I don't, I don't know. I've never had a moment, you know, things might get really tough, and I'm not going to say they never did and they weren't hard, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it was just always figuring out another way. You know, it was never about giving up. So, you know, so I always feel like if it's something that's in you and it's your dream, you know, you just figure out another way to get there. I mean, there's several routes, there's not one route to, you know, a destination, there's plenty. So, you know, I think that if you have the perseverance and you have the resilience, um, you know, I just think it's something that you stick out. Now, you know, to me, things are obvious if, you know, back to back and there's no type of success and there's no type of uplifting inspiring because I'm inspired, you know, by selling a piece or doing a class or doing an event, everything that I do that's a part of Born Again Vintage inspires me. So if it was just like draining and I wasn't getting anything from it and You know, to me, that just I think, you know, I mean, I don't even think there's, you know, any room for a question. I think, you know, when it's just not giving back to you the way you want, you know, or need to feel or get from it.
0: Mm I think that can even be in all areas of our life too. Absolutely. When we're pursuing our passions and our dreams, we have to then take a a audit of our whole entire lives and realize what are what habits are those that are draining. You know, who are the people, the relationships that are toxic that won't be conducive to to this growth that you desire. So,
1: and absolutely, and and you have to grow with your business. You know, um, you know, as a person, not necessarily the business but you have to grow with the business mm-hmm. you know you notice all types of, or you learn all types of flaws and in your strengths and your traits and your weaknesses as you're building this business you know and it's your responsibility to work on them you know and nip them I mean so that's a part of it too is working on yourself because you can't you know you can't be the same person going in the business and the same person that takes it to you know where it's supposed to be
0: I like that you said that because I think it's something that a lot of us can sometimes fear is we don't want to be critical with, uh, you know, feedback or we don't even want to ask for feedback sometimes. (laughs) Like, you know, what can I be doing so that 12 months from now when I'm doing my annual review, I'm not looking at the same data every year, you know? Right,
1: right. If there's no growth,
0: there's no point in some some aspects.
1: And that's why, you know you know, sometimes you have to be honest with yourself and that's when the point where you decide to go a different route or or like you said, jump ship. Mm -hmm.
0: And I I think, I think that's, and it's so so interesting and so true because even when I think about this whole dreams and drive podcast, so I started it in January and I had this whole idea that all the podcasts were going to be in cars. And I was, (laughs) I was trying to do like, logistically, it just didn't make any sense, right? Right. I realized, all right, maybe you need to start with, um. no, at first, I thought it was going to be all in-person interviews. Then I'm like, wait, that means you have to add a studio. You have to, like, do all these things. I just, I didn't have the resources, so I went to the next step, which is like, you know what? Skype, most people have it. Just get the call recorder. Do it that way, and maybe one day you can then work up to that goal. But sometimes, even if you have a goal, you have to kind of step back from it and Figure out, all right, what are the steps that I have to take in order to get there?
1: See, and right there, just making that decision, you know, some people that would have that would have stopped them in their tracks mm-hmm. and it would have never got done. You know, yeah. so, you know, to me, those are the the qualities that show somebody that's very passionate about what they're doing because they just find out another way. Most mm-hmm. people would have been like, oh, well, okay.
0: <laughs> Next. I guess I'll drive Uber. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was honestly, that was I was like, wait, all these people I wanna interview, there's no way I'm gonna get them to come to my friend's house in his like, you know, in his uh recording studio in his basement to record a podcast. So um I just had to be I had to think about the long term goal and realize that all right, once this grows and maybe I can rent a studio space and have all that stuff, but for now for now, Skype is good, and people still get the message. <laughs>
1: and- this has definitely been a, a slow and steady process for me. You know, as a, you know, slow and steady wins the race. You know, it's you know definitely been slow, but it's definitely been steady. You know, always having. Some type of achievement or acknowledgement, you know, at some six month point or three month point or whatever, so, you know, something showing me that I'm on the right chat track and people are listening or people are seeing. So, you know, I've always had that that reward that that shows me, okay, you know, keep going. And having people around you that believe in you, mm-hmm. I mean, that that's priceless. It's priceless. And you it's know, those leaders. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! Yes.
0: So what's next for the brand? Like, what's next for Bridget? What's next for the Born Again Vintage brand? What can we What can we expect in the next coming months?
1: Well, um, I am doing a collaboration with Housing Works, and I'm extremely excited about that. So um, we We will be hosting a reconstruction workshop in their Chelsea location on July 21st, and it will be five to eight. They're going to shut the store down. So, it's going to be extremely exciting. I'm, um, I'm really excited about the collaboration. And that's happening in July. I have um, some fashion shows coming up in Miami and in Toronto. So, you know, still doing what, what I normally do is teaching my class, you know, um, putting on fashion shows and doing workshops, you know, all around the place. You know, I would love ideally to um, go international with my workshops. That would be definitely a goal for me is to get born again get vintage, you know, cross seas and, you know, start cutting up clothes over there. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to be able to do that. And, of course, continue to build the website, you know, and, um, you know, get those clothes out there so people know that, you know, they do have that choice.
0: All right, so let's go to our lightning round. So this is the part of our interview where um, it's kind of like a call and response. So I will give you a prompt, a word, and I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind when you hear it. And remember, this goes along with our dreams and drive metaphor. So I'll be giving you the prompts to a gear shift in the car. Okay? Okay. Park. Backwards. Reverse. Moving. Neutral. They put. And last but not least, drive. Every day. All right. And you know, if you're gonna put your dreams in drive, you have to have the keys to success. I know that sounds so corny <laughs> when I say that. <laughs> so, I like it. So tell tell me, Bridget, like what are three essential things that you think all dream drivers need to have before they hit the road?
1: Oh, Um, determination for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, belief in their, whatever it is they're doing, their brand themselves, but they have to believe in it. You know, that's, they are their, you know, own poster board. Mm -hmm. So determination, um, belief in themselves and uh, maybe consistency, you know, I, that was the challenge for me too. So I would definitely say consistency is very important.
0: Right. Thank you so much, Bridget, for sharing your, your personal dream driving story and telling us all about the born again, vintage brand. I think our dream drivers definitely have learned a lot from you today. And I hope that you were able to get something out of sharing your story and tips to success.
1: I thank you for the interview. I had a ball and um, I can't wait to hear it. (laughs)
0: So that's a wrap for episode 26. I hope you enjoyed listening to Bridget's story. There's so much that we can learn from her. And if anything, I hope that you are inspired to keep your passions alive. Know that there is a way that you can make a life out of doing what you love. And Bridget's story is a testament to that. If you want to learn more about Bridget or get more links to her site and other things, go to our show notes at dreamsanddrive.com and click on episode 26. If you're listening on SoundCloud or iTunes, please, please, please rate, subscribe. Make sure you don't miss an episode. I love hearing from you guys, so if you want to share things, make sure on social you're using the hashtag dreamsindrive. I love to get in and see what people are, you know, posting and saying about the show. And you can always tag us on social at dreamsindrive. I won't do any more talking because we just had lots of it just now. But thank you so much for listening in. I appreciate you. As I tell you every week, every episode, we could not do this without you. Thank you so much. And talk to you guys soon.